volcano surfing is a sport in which an individual rides down an active volcano at speeds up to 50 miles per hour using nothing but a wooden board. When I first heard about this sport, I thought to myself, it must be nice to feel so safe you have to invent new ways to put yourself in danger. <laughs> when the body thinks it may be swallowing its last breath, the adrenal gland releases hormones into the blood, the skin becomes a cocktail of sweat and fear, the heart becomes claustrophobic, it, it pounds against the chest like it needs to see what's on the other side, the lungs, they become two newlyweds holding hands in a crashing airplane. This is called an adrenaline rush. I was 18 when I started driving. My hands, two earthquakes trembling at 10 and two, signaling every time I switched the lane going 20, when the speed limit was 25, I still remember the first time I was pulled over. It's 2 a.m. on a Saturday. The officer, he spilled his lights all over my rearview mirror, spills out of his car with his hand already on his weapon, looks at me the way a tsunami looks at a beach house, and I can tell he's the kind of man who brings a gun to a food fight. He called me son, and I thought to myself, that's an interesting way of pronouncing boy. He asks for my license, registration, wants to know what I'm doing in this neighborhood, if the car is stolen, if I have any drugs, and most days I can grab my voice and swing it like a hammer, but instead I picked it up like a shard of glass scared what might happen if I didn't hold on to it carefully because I know that this much melanin, a smart mouth, that uniform is a plot line to a film that can easily end with a chalk outline baptism, me trying to make a body bag look stylish for the camera and being the newest coat in a closet full of RIP hashtags. Once a friend of a friend asked me why there weren't more black people in the X Games and I said, you don't get it. Being black is one of the most extreme sports in America. We don't need to invent new ways of risking our lives. The old ones have been working for decades. Watch the news, watch the news, watch the news. Jim Crow may have left the nest, but our streets are still covered in its feathers. Being black in America is realizing that there's a thin line between a traffic stop and the cemetery. It's the way my body tenses whenever I hear a police siren in a song. It's the quiver in my stomach whenever there's an officer behind me. It's the sigh of relief when I turn right and he doesn't. I don't need to go volcano surfing hell I have an adrenaline rush every time a police officer drives past without pulling me over and I realize tonight I'm gonna make it home safe that was adrenaline rush by Rudy Francisco there's nothing I can say that hasn't already been said a million different kind of ways and honestly this isn't even political. This isn't a political stance. I believe that George Floyd's death is a symptom of an ongoing problem. We as a society have allowed racism and bigotry to stand behind a veil of patriotism. If the death of a human being sparks debate, we've already failed. How can anyone justify the police officer that held a knee to someone's neck for over eight minutes. Eight fucking minutes. How can how can you not see that that's an issue? How can you not see that that was wrong? That they weren't doing their job? That people told them that Floyd was unconscious, that the other police officers 
out of what uh, fear of repercussion they let someone die out of fear of repercussion why because they wouldn't be invited to a fucking golf outing or to the bar is that what it is jeez how is this debatable i i don't i don't i really don't understand and i don't want to understand it is that fucked up i whatever it is that you tell yourself at night fuck man how is it that people are quick to mention the looting but refuse to say their name they refuse to acknowledge the death of hundreds of thousands of black americans that not only suffer but ultimately die at the hands of those that are paid to protect us that take an oath to protect us who do we call when the police are the murderers i can't and will never try to speak for the black experience i can't but what i do know is that growing up hispanic and brown racism was introduced to me at a very early age i saw it when my parents would speak broken english anywhere we went and i saw it every time i went to a store and being followed by the security guard and unfortunately where i saw it the most was in my own home and i'm sure many of you did as well a lot of people are asking what can we do right you don't want to be out there protesting you don't you don't have enough money to donate you start at home you start with your uncles and aunts and grandparents and cousins and family and friends you cut it off from the root tell people that shitty nicknames that derogatory nicknames aren't okay tell them that making a joke at someone is someone's expense isn't okay and listen it's not easy trust me my mexican family looks at me like the weird one matter of fact even amongst friends sometimes i just feel like you know that bubble everyone says that you have that the people surrounding you always agree with you it's not always the case but those who stand for nothing fall for anything be proud of what you believe in because if you can't if you can't fight for it then what is it worth tell your family and friends that it's not right tell them it's not funny cut them off it's it's all of our jobs to try to make everything better and as for the bigger picture why is it that we can supply every police department with riot gear and mace bombs and rubber bullets but doctors and nurses and EMTs and medics and CNAs and medical assistants and every everybody trying to help a pandemic can't get a mask if it isn't obvious to you where our priorities as a country lay if it isn't obvious now 
and you'll never see it. You refuse to see a problem. Institutionalized racism is a thing. The over-militarization of police departments is a thing. A system cannot fail those who it was never intended to protect. I mean, how many times does this have to happen for people to realize that there's a fucking issue here? I understand that looting is wrong. But if you pay attention, most of these protests start peacefully. The people looting and the people protesting are two different groups. But a lot of times people see what they want to see. If they oppose and or don't care about what's going on, they see looters. And many of us only see protests. And for those that are quoting Martin Luther King to somehow spite the people that are looting, what is wrong with you? How can you focus on one thing of this entire movement? How can you complain about one that one thing? Things get replaced. Okay, I'm not saying that looting is justified. I'm just saying how is it that breaking a Louis Vuitton window is more important to you than someone's life? Than a community's safety? You know, there's, I think there's good out there. There's people, even police departments, figuratively and literally taking a knee. And that gives you a little bit of hope. The only reason we're here is to make sure that you got a voice. That's it. There we go. Don't think for a second. Don't think for a second that he represents who these cops are from all over the county and around this nation. We go out there to help people, not do that nonsense. There we go. I just want to tell you, where's, where's my man? Right there. Where's the Where's the gentleman? Oh, I think he took off. Yeah, my man. He took off. Patrick Hawkins is here. I'm just going to tell you. We want to be with you all for real. So I took my helmet off and laid the batons down. I want to make this a parade, not a protest. So listen, I'm just telling you, these cops love you. That cop over here hugs people. So you tell us what you need to do. That was a Michigan sheriff in Flint. There is a right way to do this. So why is it that at most major cities... We're being attacked with rubber bullets and macing. And I'm not making this shit up. Go on Twitter. It's because it, you're not going to get this on the news. People are sitting on the floor. They're kneeling down. And they're they're being attacked. There's no other word for it. These police in right gear aren't defending themselves. They're literally attacking civilians. And for what? To incite riots? To convert peaceful protests for change into riots and looting? That's what they're getting. And they're winning.
Why? Because we're apathetic. People don't care. How is it that people are going on with their lives and not, they don't see an issue with this? How can you look at your phone and not freak the hell out? How can you be annoyed by what's going on? All we have is our voice. And as a generation, I'd hope that we'd have more of a woke mentality. People sure use it for clout. Well, then use it now. Use your voice for something that matters. Try to make a change. And again, if you don't know where to start, start at home. Start with your friends. That's all it takes. It's a grain of sand. If we all do our part, there will be a change. But you have to care. Doesn't matter how annoying or how much work it is. You have to care every single time. George Floyd can't be just another hashtag. It can't be just another picture in a wall that we're going to forget. Until what? The next American tragedy? We need to care. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Um, you know, what's really interesting about what's happening in America right now is that a lot of people don't seem to realize how dominoes connect, how one piece knocks another piece that knocks another piece, and in the end creates a giant wave. Each story seems completely unrelated, and yet at the same time, I feel like everything that happens in the world connects to something else in some way, shape, or form. And I think this news, this news cycle that we witnessed in the last week was a perfect example of that. Amy Cooper, George Floyd, and you know the people of Minneapolis. Amy Cooper was, for many people, I think, the catalyst. And by the way, I should mention that all of this is like against the backdrop of coronavirus, you know? People stuck in their houses for one of the longest periods we can remember. People losing more jobs than every, anyone can ever remember. Um, people struggling to make do more than they can ever remember. And I think all of that compounded by the fact that there seems to be no genuine plan from leadership. Like, no one knows what's going to happen. You know, no one knows how long they're supposed to be good, how long they're supposed to stay inside, how long they're supposed to flatten the curb. No one knows any of these things. And so what happens is you have a group of people who are stuck inside. All of us as society, we're stuck inside. And we then start to consume. We see what's happening in, in the world. And I think Amy Cooper was one of the first moments that, that you know, one of the first dominoes that, that, that we saw get knocked down post-corona for many people. And that was a world where you quickly realize that while everyone is facing the battle against coronavirus, black people in America are still facing the battle against racism and coronavirus. And the reason I say it's a domino is because think about how many black Americans just have read and seen the news of how black people are disproportionately affected by coronavirus. And not because of something inherently inside black people, but rather because of the lives black people have lived in America for so long. You know, coronavirus exposed all of it. And now here you had this woman who we've all seen the video now blatantly blatantly knew how to use the power of 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 her whiteness 
to threaten the life of another man and his blackness. What we saw with her was a really, really powerful, explicit example of, of an understanding of racism in a structural way. When she looked, when she looked at, 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 at that man, when she looked at Cooper and she said to him, I'm gonna call 911 and I'm gonna tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. She knew how powerful that was. And that in itself is telling, you know, it tells you how she perceives the police. It tells you how she perceives her perception or her relationship with the police as a white woman. It shows you how she perceives a black man's relationship with the police and the police's relationship with him. It's, it was, it was really, it was, it was, it was powerful. Because so many people act like they don't know what, what, what black Americans are talking about when they said, and yet Amy Cooper had a distinct understanding. She was like, oh, I know. I know that you're, you're afraid of in interacting with the police because there is a presumption of your guilt because of your blackness. I know that as a white woman, I can weaponize this tool against you. And I know that by the time we've sifted through who was right or wrong, there's a good chance that you will have lost in some way, shape or form. And so for me, that was, that was the first domino. And so now you, you're living in a world where so many people are watching this video so many people are being triggered because in many ways it was like a it was like a gotcha you know it was like a it was like it was like the curtain had been pulled back aha so you do this because it's always been spoken about but this was like it was powerful to see it being used and i think a lot of people were triggered by that a lot of people a lot of people were like damn we we knew it was real but this is like real real you know I think a lot of people also angry that some of the outrage that came to her was because of her dog. Uh, and I mean, I get it, you know, but, but it was, it was, a lot of people felt like, a lot of people felt like it would have been great if the dog shelters had the same, I guess, power or, or, or if police departments were run by the people who run dog shelters because they seemed to act like this. They didn't waste time. They were like, nope, we'd like our dog back lady which I'm gonna be honest, I think was, that was a, that was a, I mean, that was a hell of a punishment. Her job is one thing, taking a white lady's dog. That was a nice dog. And so that was the first domino, you know? It was the first domino where I felt like you could feel something stirring. And all of this again is in the backdrop, backdrop. It's, it's coronavirus has happened. The numbers have come out, you know? The story of Ahmad Arbery in Georgia, that story has come up. All of these things are happening. And then the video of George Floyd comes out. And I don't know what made that video more painful for people to watch. The fact that that man was having his life taken in front of our eyes. The fact that we're watching someone being murdered by someone whose job is to protect and serve. Or the fact that he seemed so calm doing it, you know? Oftentimes, we always told that police feared for their life. It was like a threat. And, and you know, you, you, you always feel like an asshole when, when you're like, you didn't fear for your life. How, why did you fear for your life? How did you fear? But now more and more, we're starting to see that it's like, no, it doesn't seem like there's a fear. It just seems like it's, you can do it, so you did it. There was a black man on the ground in handcuffs, and you, you could take his life, so you did. Almost knowing that there would be no ramifications. 
And then again, everyone on the internet has to watch this. Everyone sees it. It's, it floods our timelines as people. And, and I think one ray of sunshine for me in that moment was seeing how many people instantly condemned what they saw. You know, and maybe it's because I'm an optimistic person, but I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that, especially not in America. I haven't seen a police video come out and and just see across the board. I mean, even Fox News commentators and, and police chiefs from around the country immediately condemning what they saw. No questions, not what was he doing, not just going, no, this, what happened here was wrong. It was wrong. This person got murdered on camera. And then the police were fired. Great. But I, I think what people take for granted is, is, is how much for so many people that feels like nothing, you know? How, how, how many of us as, as human beings can take the life of another human being and then have firing be the worst thing that happens to us? And yes, we don't know where the case will go, don't get me wrong, but it just, it, it feels like there is no moment of justice. There is no, you know, if you're watching a movie, you'd at least want the cops, you'd want to see the perpetrators in handcuffs. You'd want to see the perpetrators facing some sort of justice. Yes, they might come out on bail, etc. But I think there's a lot of catharsis that comes with seeing that justice being doled out. When the riots happened, that for me was an interesting culmination of everything. I saw so many people online saying, these riots are disgusting. This is not how a society should be run. You do not loot and you do not burn and you do not, this is not how our society is built. And that, that actually triggered something in me where I was like, man, okay, society, what, but what is society? And fundamentally, when you boil it down, society is a contract. It's a contract that we sign as human beings amongst each other. We sign a contract with each other as people, whether it's spoken or unspoken, and we say, amongst this group of us, we agree in common rules, common ideals, and common practices that are going to define us as a group. That's what I think a society is. It's a contract. And as with most contracts, the contract is only as strong as the people who are, who are abiding by it. But if you think of being a black person in America who is living in Minneapolis or Minnesota or any place where you're not having a good time, ask yourself this question when you watch those people, what vested interest do they have in maintaining the contract? Why, like, why don't we all loot? Why, why, don't, why doesn't everybody take? Why doesn't, because we've agreed on things. There are so many people who are starving out there. There's so many people who don't have. There's so many people. There are people who are destitute. There are people who, when the virus hits and they don't have a second paycheck already broke, which is insane, but that's, that's the reality. But still, think about how many people who don't have, the have-nots, say, you know what? I'm still going to play by the rules even though I have nothing because I still wish for this society to work and exist. And then some members of that society, namely black American people, watch time and time again how the contract that they have signed with society is not being honored by the society that has forced them to sign it with them. When you watch Ahmad Arbery being shot and you hear that those men have been released and were it not for the video and the outrage, those people would be living their lives 
what part of the contract is that in society? When, when you see George Floyd on the ground and you see a man losing his life in a way that no person should ever have to lose their life at the hands of someone who's supposed to enforce the law, what part of the contract is that? And a lot of people say, well, what good does this do? Yeah, but what, what good doesn't it do? That's the question people don't ask the other way around. What good does it do to loot Target? What is it, how does it help you to loot Target? Yeah, but how does it help you to not loot Target? Answer that question. Because the only reason you didn't loot Target before was because you were upholding society's contract. There is no contract if law and people in power don't uphold their end of it. And that's the thing I think people don't understand sometimes, is that, is that we need people at the top to be the most accountable because they are the ones who are basically setting the tone and the tenor for everything that we do in society. It's the same way we tell parents to set an example for their kids. The same way we tell captains or coaches to set an example for their players. The same way you tell teachers to set an example for their students. The reason we do that is because we understand in society that if you lead by example, there is a good chance that people will follow that example that you have set. And so if the example law enforcement is setting is that they do not adhere to the laws, then why should the citizens of that society adhere to the laws when in fact the law enforcers themselves don't? There's a, there's a really fantastic chapter in Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, where he talks about the principles, what is it? It's, he talks about the principles, the principles of legitimacy. And he says, in order for us to argue that any society or any, any legal body or any power is legitimate, we have to agree on core principles. And those three principles, if I remember correctly, is number one, we have to agree on what the principles are. Number two, we have to believe that the people who are enforcing the principles are gonna enforce them fairly. And number three, we have to agree that everyone in that society is going to be treated fairly according to those principles. It is safe to say in this one week alone, and maybe even from the beginning of coronavirus really blowing out in America, black Americans have seen their principles completely delegitimized. Because if you're a black person in America right now and you're watching this, if you're a black American person specifically and you're watching this, what principles are you seeing? I think sometimes the thing we need to remember and it's something I haven't remembered my whole life. I, like it's, you, you, you start to learn these things, you know, when, when, you, when you travel the world, when you read, when you learn about society, I think is that like, when you are a have and when you are a have not, you see the world in very different ways. And a lot of the time people say to the have nots, this is not the right way to handle things. When Colin Kaepernick kneels, they say, this is not the right way to protest. When Martin Luther King, had children as part of his protest in Birmingham, Alabama. People said having children as your protest is not the right way to do things. When he marched in Selma, people said this is not the right way to do things. 
When people march through the streets in South Africa during apartheid, they said this is not the right way to do things. When people burn things, they say it's not the right It's never the right way because there's never, there is never a right way to protest. And I've said this before, there is no right way to protest because that's what protest is. It cannot be right because you are protesting against a thing that is stopping you. And so I think what a lot of people don't realize is the same way you might have experienced even more anger and, and more just visceral disdain watching those people loot that target. Think to yourselves, or maybe it would help you if you, if you think about that, that, that unease that you felt watching that target being looted. Try to imagine how it must feel for black Americans when they watch themselves being looted every single day. Because that's fundamentally what's happening in America. Police in America are looting black bodies. And I know someone might think that's an extreme phrase, but it's not because here's the thing I think a lot of people don't realize. George Floyd died. That is part of the reason the story became so big is because he died. But how many George Floyds are there that don't die? How many men are having knees put on their necks? How many Sandra Blands are out there being tossed around? We don't, we don't, it doesn't make the news because it's, it's not grim enough. It doesn't even get us enough anymore. It's only the deaths, the gruesome deaths that stick out. But imagine to yourself, if you grew up in a community where every day someone had their, 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 their knee on your neck, where every day somebody was out there oppressing you every single day, you tell me what that does to you as a society, as a community, as a group of people. And when you know that this is happening because of the color of your skin, not because the people are saying it's happening because of the color of your skin, but rather because it is only happening to you and you are the only people who have that skin color. And I know there's people who say, yeah, but like, well, how come black, black people don't care when black people kill them? Man, that's one of the dumbest arguments ever. Of course they care. If you've ever been to a hood anywhere, not just in America, but anywhere in the world, you'd know how much black people care about that. If you know anything about under-policing and over-policing, though, you would understand how that comes to be. The police show black people how valuable their lives are considered by the society. And so then those people who live in those communities know how to or not deal with those lives. Because best believe, if you kill a white person, especially in America, there is a whole lot more justice than is coming your way than if you killed some black body in a black neighborhood somewhere. And so to anyone who watched that video, don't, don't ask yourself if it's right or wrong to loot. Or, don't ask yourself, wow, what does looting help? Or, no, no, no. Ask yourself, that, ask yourself that question. Ask yourself why it got to you that much more, watching, watching these people loot, because they were destroying the contract that you thought they had signed with your society. And now think to yourself, imagine if you were them watching that contract being ripped up every single day. Ask yourself how you'd feel.